Would you pray with me as we open God's word? Gracious Father, you are faithful all the time. In times where we perceive your rich blessings in time of sorrow and loss, of trial and fear, you are the God who remains, who was and is and is to come. Lord, you've given us your word here, the, the actions and the words of Jesus himself. Would you open our understanding today to learn from you, to trust you, to express that trust through our obedience, as well as trusting in the sufficiency of your grace to save us, to keep us, to change, change us, and to grow us. And help me to say just what you want me to say and nothing else. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, if you want to turn in your Bibles with me, or you can just listen if you prefer, but uh, we'll be in John chapter 12. Uh, Pastor Scott mentioned that next Sunday is Palm Sunday, and this actually happens right at the time of Palm Sunday, where Jesus enters into Jerusalem as a peaceful king that by and large, the population of Jerusalem receives and, and heralds as their anticipated king. Uh, they didn't understand what all that meant, but they did know that he was somebody special, and they were right about that. And what was interesting is this, this is, was a festival, uh, Passover uh, time, and there were non-Jews there as well. And the first time in Jesus' adult ministry, we see a group of Gentiles, of non-Jews, coming to seek Jesus. Now, that's not the first time that a group of non-Jews came to seek Jesus. There's some really famous guys that came to seek him when he was really young. Remember what they're called? The Magi, right? The wise men. Uh, three, you know, maybe it was 20. We don't, we don't know. We just know they gave three gifts. Um, this is pretty amazing, and Jesus has a response to this. And so I'm just going to read this, and then we'll, we'll get into um, a little explanation here. So starting John chapter 12, verse 20. Now, among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father... Glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. 
The crowd that stood there heard it and said that it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. But Jesus answered, This voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. This is God's word. Well, there's some confusing parts of this passage that I'll very happily explain. Um, There's a lot that's not so confusing. And this is pretty amazing because it's not very often that God just speaks and everyone around there listens. And this is one of them. It's not the only time in Jesus' life this happens, right before his baptism, right before his temptation, right after his baptism, during... um, God speaks, this is my beloved son whom I love, with whom I am well pleased, listen to him, tells everybody. And here we have God speaking. This is interesting because this is actually a witness to the Greeks. Jesus actually doesn't go and talk to the Greeks. They inquire, he actually talks to his disciples about what's about to happen. And what Jesus says to his disciples That's for us, too, because we're his disciples, right? If we believe in him and follow him, we are. And so his words are also for us. And what he is presenting here is basically, I'm on God's mission. And if you're following me, guess what? You're on God's mission, too. We're together in this. Me, I'm in you. You're in me. We're in the Father. We are bound together in union because of what I'm about to do. Now, they didn't get it, right? John is very quick in other passages to say, yeah, we had no clue what he was talking about until after he was raised from the dead. Then we like, oh, that's what he meant. And so this this is the situation. And he's saying this mission involves effectively three phases. There's a plowing phase. There's a planting phase. And then there's a harvesting phase. Uh, Jesus often uses agricultural imagery when talking about the gospel. And here, he doesn't exactly talk about plowing, but I'm going to explain why that is here. Because why would the Greeks be coming to see Jesus? He's not a disciple of Aristotle. He's not a known philosopher. He's a pretty humble guy. He's a Jewish rabbi. Yeah, he's a miracle worker. That is pretty amazing. But... What's going on here that they would even be there, right? Why are they in Jerusalem for the feast? They're Greeks. They're not Jews. But the thing is, is that the soil of their hearts has already been plowed because Jews have been scattered all over the Greek-speaking world with their synagogues. And as they listened to the teaching of Moses, they realized, wow, that actually sounds a bit like what Plato had to say. Well, guess where Plato got some of his ideas? Because the Phoenicians, Tyre and Sidon and King Hiram, who provided the cedars of Lebanon to build the temple in Jerusalem, they had all this trade and commerce going on. The Phoenicians were going all over the Mediterranean. They knew about Moses. They knew about God's revelation through Moses. And somehow along the line, Socrates and Plato heard about this and like, you know, that makes a whole lot more sense than Hermes and Zeus and all this. There's just one God. Aristotle calls him the prime mover. 
there was some cultivating, some plowing, some preparation of the soil that was going on ahead of time. That was true of the Magi as well. They had the witness of the prophet Daniel, maybe even of the prophet Balaam, back even further, who talked about a star rising up from Jesse's root. They had these witnesses. What about you? Those of you who have come to believe and trust in Christ, how did God plow up the soil of your heart to ready you to receive his word? Might have been through a Sunday school class. It might have been through the witness of a very loving, joyful, kind Christian. And you didn't understand all the doctrine about Jesus, but you saw these are wonderful people. Hmm, I wonder why, right? For some, it might have even been a movie. That's what it was for me. Um, I really didn't grow up in the church. We dabbled in church a little bit as a family. Um, but honestly, for me, it was Raiders of the Lost Ark. Uh, seriously, it was. <laughs> I watched that, and I'm like, you know, I, at Easter time, you know, the Ten Commandments always used to be on with Charlton Heston. and all, So I knew a little bit about that. I've heard of Mo, uh, Noah and the Ark and stuff like that. But I'm like, this Ark of the Covenant business, like, did they just make that up? Or is that really like in the Bible? I had no clue. I didn't even know who to ask. But the church that we dabbled in uh, when I was a kid had given me a, a good news Bible. Very easy to, to read and understand. And so I just like, I don't know anything about the Bible. I'm going to read it. And so I did. And I found that yeah, the Ark of the Covenant's in the Bible. Well, that was pretty cool. Um, but that's, that's how God was preparing my heart. Um, you know, you may have neighbors who are Muslim. Did you know that God has actually plowed their hearts some? There are points of connection with the gospel. That doesn't mean that everything they believe is accurate. Actually, a lot that they believe is not. But there is some stuff that they believe that's true. And actually, in some respects, they often have a lot more respect for the word of God than much in American culture does. We capitalize on it. See, missionaries don't look and say, oh, I wish for the good old days. They think, what's there right now that I can use to advance God's mission in the world? And you don't view a person as an enemy. You view them as a future brother in Christ if I can help them to see and understand the gospel, right? Uh, this last January, I was in Toronto. One of the things that our, our mission agency world team is trying to do is, is establish teams to reach immigrants throughout Canada. Uh, you think there's a lot of immigrants in the U.S.? Go to Canada. My word, it, I mean, you think you're in another country. Well, yeah, you are in another country, but you know what I mean? Um, we were in Toronto. I mean, there's, there's like this big neighborhood where Afghanis are living, and then there's this big neighborhood with Somalis living, and then, then there's Punjabi, some are Muslim, and we went to one of their mosques, some are Sikhs, and we went to their, um, what's it called, a gudwara, a kind of a Sikh temple. You know that Sikhs believe that the word of God is incarnate? I didn't, I, honestly, I knew nothing about Sikhs, and so I, I went and, and visited this. They actually have their scriptures in a special bedroom on a very 
nicely arranged bed with you know, some nice candles. It's just a lovely ambiance. But they believe that there was a prophet like in the 1800s and then there was a succession and then the last one became incarnate in the scriptures that were written and they view that as the incarnate word uh, now written in paper. Well, again, there's error in that, but there's points of contact, right? The word of God was incarnated. It just happens to be Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, the living and eternal God the Son. And so you see that as a point of contact, not as a point of cynicism, not as a point of mockery, but as a point of contact to help build the truth of the gospel so they can come to the true light that Jesus is, right? I'm not saying they've got it right and they're fine and we leave them alone. No, 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 no. Everyone needs Jesus. But we look for points of contact. And what about your own life? How is your life plowing the soil of your coworkers' hearts, your neighbors' hearts, the friends of your children or grandchildren, right? How we live, how we talk, our attitude, our kindness, our self-sacrifice, our humility, our joyfulness, our hope in the midst of trouble is a witness, is a light. I'm not saying that's the only witness we give. Far from it. We need to explain the gospel to people. But our, 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 our witness plows the soil. And that, that happened for me as, as a teenager. I knew one born-again, genuine follower of Christ. One in my high school. But I saw how his family loved each other. Like, my family doesn't love each other like that. I saw how they made sacrifices for each other and protected and defended each other. I'm like, my family doesn't do that. I thought, you know what? They're Christians. I bet you that's why. Now, that didn't make me fall down and say, wow, Jesus is Lord, because I didn't know anything about Jesus. I needed someone to explain that. But it sure plowed the soil of my heart to receive the good seed of the word of God. Well, we have that opportunity to be that kind of witness, to have that kind of influence in people's lives, whether it's right here or whether it's far away, right? And people do watch us and they know who we represent, which is a little intimidating, but we do have the grace of God, right? To uh, empower us and help us and support us and forgive us and clean us and give us another chance and strengthen us for the work. So plowing is, uh, is part of the process of God's mission in the world, but so is planting. And we see that uh, here. Jesus says, here, here's the world coming to see Jesus, right? These Greeks were representing that. And he says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Jesus knew this is the culmination of my mission. I am going to bear myself the sins of the world not just the Jewish people, not just the Jewish nation, but the world to bring them into reconciled relationship with God my Father. And here they are. They're coming already. I haven't even finished the job yet and they're already coming to see me. Now is the Son of Man glorified. And, you know, for years I always read that and like, yeah, he's going to be resurrected pretty soon, you know. That's not what he's talking about. I don't know if you see that. 
the very next verse he says, truly, truly, or, or I'm, I'm, I'm telling you the way it is. Unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He's talking about the, the cross here. I'm like, how could he be glorified on the cross? That doesn't make any sense. I mean, that was painful. That was shameful. That was weakness. No, 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 no. Jesus overcame the temptations of the devil, his own human bodily reluctance to experience pain and suffering, and the, the world's expectation of what the king is going to be like, you know. He's going to whip these Romans into shape, and we're going to have power over our, our oppressors, and yeah, this is going to be great. No, no, no. Jesus obeyed the Father's command. He was obedient to the point of death. He succeeded. He did it. He fulfilled the mission God the Father sent God the Son to accomplish. And so indeed, Jesus was glorified on the cross. And he says at the end, if I am lifted up from the earth, everybody there knew that meant to be crucified. In fact, they even like, what are you talking about? The Messiah is not going to be crucified. He's like, well, actually, yeah. Read Isaiah 53. It's there. He was glorified because he won. He didn't follow the, the false paradigm of the devil, which is power. Seize it. Go for it. It doesn't matter who you got to trample on. It's power and advantage that matters. That's the devil's system. System of most politicians in the world, too. Right? It wasn't the world system. You know, this, this, you know, I just think of all the, all the superheroes in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. You know, none of them went to the cross, you know. I mean, okay, Iron Man did sacrifice himself at the end. But, but you know, he, he killed Thanos first. You know, I mean, there, there, was, a lot of, there was a lot of um, vengeance going on there. Jesus takes it all on him. He brings it all on himself. You know, he was dying for the sins of the Romans who were putting the nails into his hands. He could have called on a legion of angels, right? He could have, can I say this? He could have kicked butt. I mean, he could have. He had total power. In fact, when I was a brand new believer at age 17, reading it, I was waiting for that because I didn't know the whole story. I was learning it, you know, and I'm like, I'm just waiting, you know, when is lightning going to come down and burn up all these guys? You know, you, you know it's the Apostle John thought that too, so I, I wasn't in bad company, but that's not what happened because Jesus doesn't think like we do. He's not thinking advantage and revenge and, and kick, smash him in the face. He's thinking, I'm going to do this through self-sacrifice. I'm going to express my power through love. And nobody would ever predict this. In fact, I'm pretty sure it was Tim Keller who said, no man invented the gospel. Indeed, we humans are incapable of it. I think he's right on. No novelist, no fiction writer would ever have done this narrative. But Jesus does because he's God. And God doesn't think like you and I do. And so here he is, being glorified on the cross. And in three 
uh, in, in this phase of planting, you notice that he doesn't talk about planting the good seed of the message of the gospel. He does that in other parables, in Matthew chapter 16 specifically. Here, the seed isn't the message. The seed is the messenger. The seed is him. You know that if you take a, a grain of wheat and plant it, on average, it gives a yield of about 75 new grains. That's pretty amazing, really. I mean, how, how amazing is that? You know, that God has made this to work this way, that we have food because when you plant something, it multiplies. It, it, you don't get less, you get persistently more. That's amazing in his provision. But, you know, a, a farmer could have like a whole sack of seed and he's like, you know, I, I could eat that. That would feed my family for a little while. We could, we could grind that into flour and have bread and we, we could eat it, right? We could take it now. Of course, if you do that, what happens? You, you get no harvest, right? You get no yield. You don't get the multiplication that goes on. Um, this is a profound message that Jesus has for us because honestly, the biggest obstacle to cross-cultural ministry, whether it's to international students at OSU or other local universities, or to the flood of immigrants who have come to the Columbus area to find work and peace and freedom from war, from Syria, from Somalia, from Afghanistan, from other places, you know, we don't naturally just rub shoulders with these folks. A missionary is someone who crosses cultural boundaries on purpose to bring the gospel. It's just not something that humans normally do. We like to kind of just stick around with people that look like us and talk like us and think like us and we feel safe and at home with them. Missionaries traverse those boundaries. It's uncomfortable. And the biggest obstacle to someone living a missional life is this thought that if I make a sacrifice, if I give up something, I lose out. I want to watch the ball game instead of, and not that it's bad to ever watch a ball game, but I want to do this, I don't want to do that. I want to have this comfort, this convenience, this pleasure. I don't want to have to curtail that or delay that or give that up in order to serve this person or help this person out or share the gospel or do a Bible study or have a prayer meeting at my workplace or go to a foreign field to bring the gospel to the Dajo in Chad, Africa, where there's one Christian in that whole ethno-linguistic group. It is uncomfortable. And Jesus hits it three times in this passage First of all, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, you just have one seed. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. And like I said, a wheat, in, at least in today's agricultural system, about 75, which is great. And then he says, whoever loves his life. Now, this is metaphorical speaking here. Love and hate in, in a Hebraic sense means to choose or to reject, okay? So this isn't like, oh, I hate myself. No, that's not what he's talking about. He's saying, do you choose your preference or do you deny your preference? Do you pursue what you want all the time or do you reject what you want 
in favor of God's will and God's plan in and through your life. See, we think if we do that, I lose. I give up. And Jesus said, no, 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 get this. It's by taking and seizing the advantage and the power and the the money and the comfort and, and everything that you want right now, you lose your life. That's not life. Life is in fellowship with me. He said, actually, if you hate your life, meaning that you curtail, you know, you, you, you pursue delayed gratification, and instead, I'm going to be inconvenienced in order to follow Christ and in order to do ministry to other people. He said, guess what? You'll keep it for eternal life. You get way more, like planting the seed, and you get 75. But, of course, you got to trust that that's going to happen. Right? Now, I think... A lot of us plant seeds, right? We do think it's going to happen. But in our day-to-day life, it's going to happen too. Jesus promised it. One thing I've learned, Jesus keeps his promises. You can trust what he has to say. He's going to do it. And then in case we didn't get it the first two times, he says it again. Verse 26, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, what's going to happen? The Father's going to honor him. You don't lose out, you gain. You think, oh, but if I serve God, people will make fun of me. Yeah, but God the Father will honor you. That's better. That's what happened on the cross. The whole world. I mean, Jesus bore our shame, our vulnerability, our weakness, our nakedness, our embarrassment, our, our frailty, our guilt, our shame, our rejection, our separation from God. He bore it all. He paid it all. What happened? Therefore, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's Jesus' prayer here. He said, should I pray, God spare me? No, this is why I came. Father, glorify your name. That's our life. That's our heartbeat. That's why we're here. Would you pray that? Lord, I'm not praying for safe, simple, comfort, convenience. Father, glorify your name. And Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, you're going to be where I am. Well, where is he? Well, he's all over the place. He's at work, right? He, Wayne talked yesterday. He just got back from Nigeria. He's heading to, I can't remember all the countries, uh, you know, but he's got a, a lot ahead of him. Heather and I have a trip to Southeast Asia. We were just in Cambodia, Australia, New Zealand, and Toronto in the last few months. God's there. He's also working in my neighbor's life. He's working in the lives of the friends of my kids. Where's Jesus at work? All over. Join him in it, right? Just get the thought and radar, figuratively speaking, of your life in tune with what's God up to? How can I join him? How can I be involved in that? It might be starting a Bible study during the lunch break at your workplace. Or it might be saying, I'm going to go to Italy, and I'm going to learn Italian really well. 
and I'm going to relate with the Italian people to bring the light of Jesus Christ into Italy and to plant churches that plant churches and that are relevant culturally and faithfully biblically. That's a huge need. There's a lot more Christians in every country in Latin America than there are in Italy or France or Spain. The needs are everywhere. So I'm, I'm, I'm not telling you you better be a missionary or, or you're a pathetic Christian, no. But you better be on mission with God and wherever he places you and calls you to because we follow Jesus, right? He came to unite with us and he calls us now to unite with him. In fellowship, he does say, where I am, there my servant will be. Well, that, that has eternal hope, right? I'm going to prepare a place for you that you may be where I am. Jesus wants that, right? He wants that fellowship with us. But right now, we're on mission with God. We're not there yet, right? We're here. And God has a mission for us to accomplish wherever he sends us. We always said, Heather and I, that God was sending us to Haiti, but we're just following Jesus to Haiti. We knew that that wasn't the only cool, great place to be if you're going to be obedient to God. We just knew that's where he was sending us for a time, and we didn't know how long. And people would say, how long do you plan to be here? I'm like, until Jesus takes us by the hand and leads us out. I did say, you know, we're willing to be here a long, long time. And that, and we were, 13 years, that's not bad. We didn't pack our bags in a coffin or like so many Af uh, missionaries to Africa did in the late 1800s. But, um, but, you know, we haven't forsaken the missionary call by living in South Carolina we're just fulfilling God's purpose wherever he sends us. And the internet's quite nice, and we can minister to people all over the globe. Um, for me, a, a typical day is a Zoom call with people from Australia, Cameroon, uh, France, Philippines, Cambodia, Suriname, Brazil, and other places in North America. And that's pretty typical for me, which is kind of cool, but honestly, for me, a good day is a day I don't have a Zoom meeting. <laughs> it's just, it just does get a little old. So, so you have the plowing, right? We are plowers. God has plowed in our heart to receive his word and open our hearts to his word. But we, the way we live is plowing the ground of, of other people so that they can receive God's word. And then there's the planting, not only the message we speak, but our very lives are that grain that, that dies. Like we give up our preferences in favor of God's greater plan and his mission in this world. And then um, wrapping up in verses 27 to uh, 32, there's, there's a wonderful uh, expression here because there's a guaranteed harvest. Now, some of you might be really good gardeners, and when you plant, there's a guaranteed harvest. When I plant, there's not a guaranteed harvest. There's a hopeful one, but um, I just am not good at it, and that is just how it is. But um, verse 27, you know, Jesus says, now my soul is troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. Should I live for self-preservation here? And Jesus says, no. It is for this purpose that I came to this hour. I'm pressing forward. I'm going to see this through to the end. Of course, we know six days later, Garden of Gethsemane, there, well, okay, five days later, um, he prays again, right? And he says, Father, not my will, 
but yours be done. He was struggling because he was fully human as well as fully God. But he yielded. He resolved himself. I'm going to see this through. It's hard, but I'm going to see this through. I'm going to obey my father. Those of you that are involved in ministry, maybe in the church or outside the church, sometimes it's hard, but we see it through. Sometimes you don't get recognized. Sometimes you're very not appreciated. That's okay. Jesus said, my father will honor the one who serves me. Another place he said, my heavenly father sees what's done in secret. It's okay. You will get your recognition, and it'll be better, though, because it'll be in front of the whole host of angelic beings. You know, that's pretty cool to have all the angels applauding. I, I'm looking forward to that. And I, hopefully that's what I'll get. I, <laughs> by the Lord's grace. Um, He said, now is the judgment of this world. Basically saying, I'm not doing things the way the world does things. The world would say, see me hanging on the cross, he's not a king. He didn't win. Others said, he saved others, let him save himself, right? This is the world's logic. And Jesus says, no, I'm bringing judgment on the world's way of doing things on the cross. And then he gives us a clue as what's behind that world system? What's behind that me first, take, seize power, gain, get, go for it in your own strength, your own power, and for your own glory? There's somebody working behind the scenes on that. He calls it here the ruler of this world. That's the devil. And that's what the devil did. That's what he tempted Eve with. Oh, God's keeping something good from you. You got to go for it. Exert your independence here. Okay, and she did. Um, That was bad for all of us, but, you know, we all do the same thing, so we really can't criticize her too much. But he says, Jesus says, now will the ruler of, of this world be cast out. In fact, in another passage, he says, the ruler of this world is coming. He has no hold on me. He is not killing me. He just laid it out. I am giving my life in obedience to my father because I love my father. I keep my father's commands because as the father has loved me, so have I loved you. See, this is God's system, sacrificial love. And you don't fear the sacrifice, the hardship, because you know that the reward will be billions of times greater than the sacrifice that you make. And then he says, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, let's just lay that out. He says, when I am crucified, bleeding, suffering on the cross, I will draw all men to myself, including these Greeks who are just coming here to see me. This mission is about to be accomplished, and their inquiry is evidence of it. That's really what he's saying here. And um, this is where we're at now. The one true God has redeemed a people for himself. If you believe in Jesus, you're in that. If you're not, if you don't believe in Jesus, you can become in that. This new community of his people on this earth. But while we're here, we're on mission with him. Brother Wayne really gave a good exposition of this from Genesis to Revelation last night. If you weren't here, I think they did record it, and it was really good. Um, This is just bringing it down to the personal level that's totally consistent with what Wayne said yesterday, is that we're we're with Jesus. And yeah, we get all the benefits, but we're also with him 
following him, which does include a cross. Jesus said, if anyone follow me, let him take up his cross and follow me, which involves some sacrifice, but it's worth it. God is not stingy. He's generous, and those who follow him are generous, generous with our money, generous with our time, generous with our affections. And when people see that, that just joyful generosity flowing out of us, they actually see the character of God. That is a big part of our mission in this world. And so um, we have the joy of being in fellowship with him. We have the joy and the privilege of being on mission with him in this world. I can't tell you what the specifics look like. Jesus says, follow me. And he's going to make it plain. The big question is, will we believe him? Or will we say, eh, I think I'd rather just, I mean, I'm a Green Bay Packers fan. I'd rather have the Packers game, you know. Well, God's got a whole lot better for you than that. But you've got to follow him to receive it. God bless you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Sean and Heather, for that update and uh, to, for opening God's word to us and instructing us this morning. Well, it's a bittersweet time. It's the end of our missions conference. Uh, many of you were with us through the whole weekend, got to interact with our missionaries multiple times. But for those of you who haven't, this is your last chance. Uh, out there in the commons, you saw the tables. Take a few minutes and, and uh, greet them and uh, find out more about their mission and um, just welcome them one more time before they uh, have lunch and hit the road. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father, we come to you thanking you and praising you for the time that we've been able to join together in fellowship this morning and throughout this weekend. It is a wonderful thing to be strengthened by the presence of others who are attempting to follow you by following your son, Jesus Christ. And uh, our hearts are filled with joy that we've gotten the time to do this and sorrow that we're separating for a time to go and do our individual work. And so, Father, I pray for uh, that you give these folks uh, safety on their journeys and, and bless the work of their hands, make it fruitful. But also, Father, as we've shared these days together, I pray that, that our hearts would be drawn closer to the work that you have for us to love you with everything that we've got, to love other people, and to make disciples, make followers of your son, Jesus. That's why we're here. That's what you've told us to do. May we be busy at that in the individual ways that you've gifted us. We pray that you would lead us into such activities for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.